Hi, I'm Hannah, team manager with the Orange Arrow Players Association, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to coach student athletes to aim for success off the field. Please consider making a play by giving, hosting a friend raiser, subscribing to our podcast and YouTube channel, and staying connected on social media at Orange Arrow PA. Visit orangearrow.org for more information. Thank you for listening. Take aim. Welcome to Inside the Play Call with Orange Arrow, and I'm your host, Sean Robinson. And today we have a very, very special guest. My guy always looked out for me when I was living in the city of Pittsburgh. My guy, Junior Eddie Atwards. What's up, boss? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. It's good to see you, even though it is virtually, you know, we're doing the Zoom thing. That's the life we're in now. How's the family? My family's doing good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're hunkering down and trying to do our part to, you know, uh, uh, mitigate the spread of COVID. So, you know, doing our, our family isolation uh, and only going out when needed. So being a former athlete, you understand the importance of warming up and stretching. So I got a few warm-up questions. You ready? Absolutely. Absolutely. First one. If you're going to listen to one musical artist for 30 days straight, only one, who are you selecting? You know, that, that's a tough question uh, because there's so many artists out there and I'm more of a genre guy. So when I tend to listen to music, I tend to listen to genres, whether it's R&B from the 80s or 90s, hip hop, you know, rock, whatever it is. Uh, but if you, if you really maybe focus on one particular artist. I only need one. Probably Michael Jackson. Ooh, that's actually my often selection. That's a you, you can't go wrong with Michael Jackson. His catalog, thirty days. Yeah, yeah, but he's got so much. If you if you listen to music from the Jackson Five to when he went out as a solo artist, you know, and it, and then if you include some of the projects he wrote on, uh, you know, it, it's a really deep catalog. That's a great selection. So, off the wall or thriller. Two different ones, but I think Thriller. Uh, well, you know, thriller. That, that one resonates resonates more with me. You know, I'm an '80s kid, so that was like mid '80s. You know, watching the Thriller video, and you know, and and that was really in the big time video age. So you know, you have Billy Jean was a huge video back then, and you had Thriller. So uh, you know, I, I'd have to say the Thriller album, but Off the Wall was fantastic. Yeah, I'm going Off the Wall. I mean, there's really no right or wrong answer there. But I have a I have a love for off the wall, and, and I, I grew to love it as I got older. I'm like like this is incredible. And speaking of like the Jackson Five stuff, I stumbled upon some of their hits, like there is like those um, uh, album cuts, you know what I mean, where everyone I mean, I know everybody on ABCs and things of that nature. But I found some of the album cuts. I got a really cool list. I'm about to share with you. It's about 15 uh, Jackson Five cuts that are just like hitting gems. I'm gonna send it to wow. you. I think you will enjoy it. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. The B-sides of those records always, you know, have some hidden gems in them. So I'd be interested to see what you found. That's it, the B-sides. Here we go. Give me your basketball career, your basketball background. You have one point guard you had to select for one season, Allen Iverson or Isaiah Thomas, Zeke Isaiah Thomas. AI or Zeke? That's another tough one. That's another tough one. Um, you know, both with similar backgrounds. You know, Allen Iverson from that Newport News, Virginia area, 
know, tough, tough upbringing. And you got Isaiah Thomas from Chicago, right? A St. Joe's guy. Um, I'd probably have to say Isaiah Thomas. Um, You know, Isaiah was more of a, you know, uh, uh, get the team involved first, kind of shoot second at times athlete, uh, where AI had the more of a scorer's mentality. So, you know, if I was out on the court with an Isaiah, you know, I know he would look to try to get you involved in some way, maybe a little quicker than AI would. <laughs> um, but you couldn't go wrong either way. You know, pound for pound, uh, Allen Iverson, probably the best basketball player. Again, pound for pound. Right, right, right. Ever. You know, yeah. you know he, he was barely six feet tall and 170 pounds and dominated in an incredible fashion. Um, but Isaiah, you know, he played in the 80s on those tough Pistons teams against the tough Lakers teams, Sixers teams, Celtics teams. Uh, so he, he would be my guy. I'd have to go with, 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 with Isaiah Thomas. Gotcha. I'm going AI. AI, the whole swag. I mean, he, get, he gets a heads up, uh, a legs up and points up for me because of the shoes. I love the AI shoes. Um, but like you said, I mean, those are two uh, great choices. And speaking of AI being a, one of the, the you know, pound for pound best basketball players ever, did you ever see some of his highlights when he played high school football? Oh, absolutely. All right, well, he was, he was, you know, I think before Ron Curry, wasn't he the, the other top football and basketball player in the country at his time? He was. Right? He was. From, from, Virgin, uh, from Virginia. So, yeah, he was just as good as a quarterback defensive back as he was a point guard on a basketball court. That's but, scary. But you usually find that, Sean, with some of your your your, your high end athletes. You know, they've excelled in a variety of sports. Um, I was watching Dallas last night and sharing with my son. You know, Sean Lee, linebacker, uh, Penn State guy for the Cowboys, was a heck of a high school basketball player. I didn't know that. Yeah, heck of a high school basketball player. Last one more question. Favorite TV show of all time. <sighs> If this counts as a TV show, Sports Center. I love Sports Center. Okay. Uh, that's where you get your daily dose. And it, it has evolved as television programming over time uh, to include more than just sports highlights. You know, I like the, the features that they now present in their programming, you know, which highlight the individual accomplishments of athletes, not just on the field, but off the field. And, 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 and digs a little deeper getting into their, you know, some of their philanthropy and some of their, their interests and, in, you know, community service. So uh, I'd have to say sports center, sports center. Now, can you watch it over and over again, even though they're saying during those times where they're replaying the same thing? I've done that because sometimes you catch things the second time around that you miss the first time around, you know, in, in a day, in a, in a digital age, you get distracted. So uh, and, and sometimes you know, they'll show you that highlight, but you may be like, oh, wow, I'd love to see that again. And you just you end up watching it again. It's entertaining. And remember, there's two there's two sports centers, right? So you get your late night sports center from the night before. And then the next morning, you know, around, I think, what, seven or eight, they'll run a new sports center with new anchors that may right. differ, you know, uh, uh, in a little way from the from the one from the night before. Any personalities on ESPN that stand out to you that that, that you favor? Current you know, or former? A former was Stuart Scott. I mean, yeah. you know, there yeah. were there was nobody like Stuart Scott. Um, you know, he brought a, a charisma and an enthusiasm to Sports Center that really set it off. Um, you know, you and I have a mutual friend in Jay Harris. Yeah, uh, shout out to Jay. Has that Sports Center, and he's you know former Pittsburgh guy. Spent some time in our city. 
uh, as a media personality uh, on, on radio and on television. Um, so you love to see, you know, what I like about that is the variety that each anchor brings to the, to the program, whether it's Olberman or Dan Patrick or, you know, uh, uh, Scott Van Pelt, whoever it is, they bring their own swagger, right? They do. The desk. And, and, it, and it actually makes it for interesting TV and an interesting way to view, um, um, you know, sports highlights. Take us back. Hometown, early years in sports. You know, I am a, I'm a Pittsburgh guy. I was born in Washington, D.C., so most people don't know that. But I was born in Washington, D.C., lived there until I was four, but spent summers there through middle school. So after, uh, you know, elementary school was over for the school year, I'd spend considerable time in Washington, D.C. Um, grew up outside of Pittsburgh, uh, an area called Plumborough, um, which is east of Pittsburgh. It's kind of a rural suburban community. So, you know, uh, uh, I'd say 30, 35% of my community was like your normal suburbs. And another 60, 65% uh, was like, you know, a country area, a rural area, farms. Um, so you got the best of both worlds. You learned how to appreciate, you know, those guys who, who woke up early in the morning and had to do some chores and, you know, others who didn't. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a media family. Um, my father owned TV stations. So at, at one point uh, in his career, he was the largest owner a uh, black owner of television stations in the country. Um, so I was right. very fortunate to be able to be involved in a media property at that level and get exposed to some really interesting things at a young age. Um, you know, from, okay. Oh, What's some of those experiences? Um, I remember, you know, my, my dad was on the board of NAPI, which is a national association of television, television program executives. That's where you buy all your syndicated programming. So I used to go to conferences with him and meet all, you know, all of the heads of, you know, different, you know, television organizations, you know, syndicated programming outlets. Um, you know, you met all the personalities that you saw on TV. Um, the one person that resonates really big for me is my dad was really good friends with Don Cornelius and Don mm. Cornelius started Soul Train. So I'd always look forward to going to the events and seeing Don and Don always was very kind to me very welcoming, you know, when he would have events and parties, which were all the A-listers from Hollywood, I would always have an, an open invite. Um, and I, and I cherish that time because again, you know, you got to meet people you otherwise wouldn't get to meet. Um, you know, I, I saw Destiny's Child before they were Destiny's Child. As Seriously. They upswing. Yeah. As they were on the upswing, we were at the house of blues in Las Vegas at one of these events and they were the entertainment. Um, so it's some really cool things. Um, very lucky. Um, that I had a dad who was very active and wanting me to learn the business. Um, you know, he put me in a position to make some, some business calls early, you know, with his guidance. Um, and, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that because most people wouldn't have got the opportunity. And the other thing he did is he, he got me involved in uh, not-for-profit boards really young. So a lot of the boards that he sat on when he was out of town or unable to attend the board meeting, he'd send me as his proxy. Um, and at the time, I really didn't understand what was going on because I was in a room, you know, I'm a 23, 24-year-old young man in a room with a, a bunch of older adults. Um, but the relationships I was able to develop at that time that lasted throughout my career and the understanding of how those organizations worked, uh, was, it, was in, it was invaluable to actually have the opportunity to sit in those rooms at that time 
and do those things. That's wonderful. So one thing that worked in your favor, going to one of those meetings at the top of the recording, I called you Junior. So at least y'all had the same name. So if they said Eddie Edwards here, you could say yes. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> the uh, so so, but let's pause there because you think about you know, especially in the black community, there not we don't have, our young people don't have the opportunity to always be around uh, successful entrepreneurs. So how has that shaped shaped you? Um, like shape, shape your business, your business um, world, and then e- even more so your mindset. Well, you know, I, I tell people, you know, growing up for me, I never, it was never a question of if you could or, you know, would you be able to do that? I always thought that I could. I always felt that I was very fortunate, you know, in, in my community, you know, you had neighbors who were doctors and lawyers and, and different things. So in my world, it was never a matter of could I, it's, you know, how, how I get there. Right. It was never it, there was never an if there um, and being around, you know, as I got older, some of those you know, decision makers and major organizations became invaluable because you see what they did. You saw their grind and you saw how hard they worked to get what they had. And, you know, that resonated with me. You know, there was no eight hour day. There was no such thing as an eight hour day you know, to be good at your craft. You went above and beyond You had 16 hour days. And, you know, I saw the travel that some of these guys had to endure to be away from their families, to work these deals, to get opportunities. Um, so, you know, Sean, it's, it's a lot like yourself, you know, when you, when you were at Pitt, you know, uh, and, and playing football, everybody saw your finished product right on Sunday, but nobody right. saw, nobody saw Monday through Friday, right? No one saw right. the grind, the hard work, the weight room, the up at six in the morning and, and you know, spring ball. Nobody sees that. Well, it was a lot like that in business. Everybody sees the finished product. They see, oh, wow, they, they make a lot of money. They've done this. They don't see the guys who've you know, had to file for bankruptcy several times over before they made it, right? Or, or you know, we're on their last dollar. You know, I mean, I, I read something recently of Mark Cuban, you know, uh, I go into his, his, his wallet, I think, you know, went to a Mac machine and it, and it said zero. It was all zeros. You know, you have to experience those things to know how bad you want it on the other side of things. So, and again, I was, I was fortunate to be in some of those situations to see how things went, you know, as a black owned broadcaster, my father, you know, had to scrape and work and grind to, to get capital together just to purchase his first property. Right. And when we purchased our first TV station, it was an independent. So we didn't have a network affiliation. And in order to make ends meet, we had to run a home shopping network 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. Right. So, I mean, wow. and, and again, paid the bills because they, they, they pay you on an hourly basis, but that's what we had to do to, to, to get things moving. Mm, yeah. I mean, you talking about on the job training, like that is wonderful. One of the words we use is exposure. So we right. love exposure our young people and that's wealth of knowledge there. So what was sports like for you? What was your relationship with sports and growing up playing sports? I mean, I always loved to play sports. Um, I was an undersized kid, so I, you know, I was like until my senior year, I was like five nine. I was little. Seriously, um, you're what, like six two now, right? Six yeah, I, I grew this summer after I graduated. Go figure, right? So you kind of, yeah, 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 I, almost like Jordan, but just a few years too late. I lived a few years too late, but it was, it was all good. But I, you know, sports were a big part of my. I mean, and I played everything. I played soccer. You know, I played uh, football. I played basketball. I played baseball. I ran track. You know, I was just if it was sports related. I wanted to be a part of it and I loved it. Again, I didn't let, let the size get in the way. Um, you know, you always ground it out 
And, and, you know, I, I, I credit sports with giving me a lot of the opportunities I have to this day, the relationships you make along the way, uh, the people that I met, you know, when you work at camps and, you know, you do all those different things. You just, you, you build relationships. Um, when I talk to kids, I always talk about small group communication skills, right? Um, you know, when I, when I, when I played football growing up, I was a quarterback. So, you know, you know, as a quarterback, you got to walk into the huddle and you got to be able to communicate with all 10 players that are in the huddle with you. Right. right. And you know, as a quarterback, you learn early, you don't have to know what you got to do, but you got to know what everybody else got to do. So if there's somebody in that huddle that says, Hey, Eddie, what am I doing this play? You better know where they're supposed to line up and, you know, how they're supposed to execute and being able to, to do that, you know, at a young age, assist you as you maneuver through life, right? Because you got to be able to have that small group communication skill set, you know, um, um, you know, not being afraid to break the ice, uh, you know, and, and a lot of that you get from playing sports. You know, you mentioned point guards earlier. Your point guards, your floor general. You know, right. that, that's the same as your quarterback in football, right? They got to know how to do those things and, and be confident. And, you know, when things aren't going well, you know, you would never know that because they're going to keep everybody right. Um, so sports did that for me. Again, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, sometimes I would I'd probably put too much time in the sports. I don't know that you ever could, but back then, you know, I, I, you know, you, you know, you want to, it was between doing your homework and being at the playground playing hoops. I was at the playground playing hoops. So, uh, uh, you know, but you, you figure that out, you know, later in life that, you know, one can't exist without the other. Um, and if you expect to go and play at, at a higher level or, you know, uh, uh, hopefully have an opportunity to, to, to get your schooling paid for or something like that through sport, you better, you better, you know, accomplish what you need to in the classroom. And so you navigated towards hoops. Did you ever have the hoop dreams? Did you want to be in the NBA? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think everybody who, who, who plays sports wants to be in the NBA. Um, but, you know, I, I, I played with some, some, some talented guys growing up, and, you know, I realized pretty early that my pursuit of basketball was just for the love of the game. Um, again, when you graduate at 5'9", you know, I matriculated through the Penn State system in college just because when I graduated, I was 5'9". Right. So yeah, I, had to, I had to work my way through and, you know, you prove yourself in different platforms. So, um, you know, loved it. I always worked the camps. I always met people. You know, I, I, I often say I don't know how I didn't fall into coaching. Right. Hmm. Because, I can know, see that. I, I, I like the sport that much, but it just I was on a different career path. You know, if, if we have several lives that we live over, maybe in, in, a, in a future life, I may come back as a as a coach. Um, but Favorite if, athlete growing up? Excuse me? Favorite athlete growing up? Who did you look up to? Uh, I, I, I think I'd have to do it by sports. So baseball is a Mets guy. I used to wear number 18 for Daryl Strawberry. I mean, Strawberry was my guy. He was my guy. He was my guy. I was an outfielder. He was an outfielder. Um, and basketball, it was magic. I mean, magic was everybody's guy. Uh, you know, the, the Lake Show. I mean, that, 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 was, that was the deal. That was the deal. And then, you know, when I look at football, you know, I, I was a quarterback who can run and throw. So I liked Randall. Randall Cunningham was my guy. Yeah. He was my guy. Um, Very strong selections. He, and he was, you know, at, at the forefront of the, of the mobile quarterback, you know, him and Warren Moon. Now, Warren Moon, not as much as a Randall Cunningham, but they were kind of the same mold. And you got to remember back then for us, you know, there weren't too many black 
quarterbacks in the NFL right. at the time. So the guys that you try to pattern yourself after with kind of the similar you know skill set were limited. Um, and so thinking of that, the black quarterbacks, you, you named two of them, uh, Doug Williams and oh, also, absolutely. also Steve McNair. Yeah. I, um, um, and, and so, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> Steve passed, you know, he was actually murdered a few I mean, years ago. But it's interesting, though. The uh, So I was in Nashville. And so for those who don't know, Steve McNair was a, you know, all pro quarterback for uh, the Tennessee Titans in Nashville. And when he hit the news in Nashville, and I'm assuming he hit there first first because it's, it's local, you mentioned Jay, who's uh, an on-air personality for ESPN. When I heard about the news, I reached out to Jay to let him know. And he was like, wait, where did you hear this? You know right. what I mean? So so uh, I have to ask Jay if I was the first person to let him know about um, about Steve McNair. So it's just, just interesting how, how that worked out. And that was a sad, sad situation. I mean, you know, yeah. Steve McNair from Alcorn State, SWAC school, right? Again, re, for the younger people, you know, when you wanted those opportunities as a quarterback, you didn't necessarily get power five opportunities. And right. McNair came out of a SWAC school to get there. Um, you know, I mean, Warren Moon was a little different. If I recall correctly, he went to University of Washington. Um, but he had to prove himself in Canada before he got yeah, back. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew he had to prove himself where it was Canada. Yep. Right, right. So, you know, it, it was a, a non-traditional path to, to success in the NFL. But it's important, you know, for the young guys to know that history, that it wasn't always, oh, you're our guy. We're going to draft you and, you know, we're going to put you through the, through, the, through the hoops here. It was for, for, for black athletes, especially black quarterbacks, it was a, 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 a tougher path. It definitely was. It definitely was. You went to Penn State. What did you major in? Uh, I was a communications major, Bachelor of Arts in Communications, because, again, I, I, I thought that I was going to end up uh, working and running a TV station. It makes sense. So, yeah, I, I went there, uh, got a Bachelor of Arts in Communications. Thereafter, I went to the University of Pittsburgh, where you and I crossed paths a couple of times while I was in law school. H2P. Yep, so I hailed a pit, and I, and I went to Pitt Law. Um, you know, had a, had a good run at Pitt Law. You know, it's, it's funny when you talk to Pittsburgh guys and, and you know, you're, you're an Ohio guy, particularly at Pittsburgh. When you talk to Pittsburgh guys about Pitt, we never really considered going to Pitt in undergrad. At least I didn't. And I know a lot of my friends didn't because you were always there. Gotcha. You know, when you're in high school, you know, you're, you know, you go to Oakland, you hang out and, you know, you, you never really considered Pitt as the school that because you were always there, you took it for granted. When I went to Pitt Law School, I saw a campus that I didn't even know existed. Mm. You know, because now you're in, you know, you have classes not only in law school. We, back then, we had classes in the cathedral. Right. And, you know, you're walking campus and you're getting to know all the buildings. And what a beautiful place. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's truly a gem in our area. Uh, you know, very fond memories uh, of, of the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and, you know, where I got my first NFL client. How about that? My guy, my guy, my guy, he's still going yeah. strong, still going strong. And I was super excited to be, uh, so Andy Lee, uh, all pro punter, super excited a couple weeks ago when he did a fake punt. That was a nice throw. I mean, did he not look comfortable? I, I called him <laughs> right afterwards. I said, man, you look like a, a, a formidable quarterback, you know, right. cool and calm in the pocket, had great touch, you know, and you know, if, if you were watching the game, that situation was, it was a tie game. 
So, yeah. you know, it wasn't, you know, one where the, the, the outcome was yet to be decided. So that was a, a gutsy call, but, yes. you know, great execution. You know, you got a guy back there who's a veteran, uh, you know, a- Andy never wavers under pressure um, and he, de- he delivered for him. Um, and he's been delivering for the for NFL teams for the past, what, 17 years. I was going to ask you, this is, this is your 17? Yeah, him and Larry. That's incredible. So, so it's always interesting, especially when I speak with uh, former teammates or those who were, you know, related to, uh, to the Pitt family. And, and everybody knows Larry's name is C. Larry. But I say, hey, our guy Andy Lee still holding down. He's still holding down. I actually had a conversation with somebody like NFL career, like would you rather have like Larry's career or Andy's career? And me personally, I would like Andy's career. I kind of like being a little low key, you know what I mean? Because Andy can still walk the streets and be fine. Larry, I mean, he's so recognizable, but hats off to him both, hell to pit. But I'm super excited for Andy. I mean, he was always a solid guy. Me catching punts at pit, you know, I would be the one, you know, we'll, after practice, he'd be punting to me. We get extra work in, and it's super, super excited to see him still playing at a high level. Yeah, it's, it's exciting for him uh, uh, to continue being a league. I mean, I still think he's got some time left. Uh, you know, he's, 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 he's hitting the ball well. I mean, he's, he's yeah. playing as good as he ever has. So, uh, you know, hopefully him and him and Larry have a few more years out in the desert together uh, uh, before it's, it's time to call it a career. So communication degree, life after Penn State. Um, well, I initially went to work in TV stations, so – by this point, my father owned eight across the country. Wow. Uh, the closest one in Ohio was WTTE in Columbus. So at that point, I was being groomed to, you know, in an executive capacity um, to, to, you know, eventually one day run the organization and operate the properties. Now, uh, you know, people always ask, why do you know, how did that, how did that go for you? And I tell everyone, I'd worked at the TV station since I was 16 and I'd, I'd done every job within the building. So my first job was cleaning sets for TV shows, literally Windex, paper towels, vacuum cleaner. How about that? I did. Right. And then I moved on to formatting video. Back then you got these, you know, three quarter inch tapes that they would send from property to property with your programming. So I would format them. They came in unformatted. So you'd format them. So you knew, you know, when the actual show was running versus commercial time, you know, and then I got, you know, into the, into the uh, editing room and learned how to edit. And then I learned how to run the cameras. So, you know, my father made sure that, you know, if I was going to be involved in any capacity with our family business, that I would know how to perform any task that anybody else in the organization could perform, which is really important. Yeah. Which is really important because you want people to respect you for what you bring to the table and not think that you were given anything. Correct. I did, I think, a really good job of making me earn my stripes. Did you understand that at the time? When I got the vacuum cleaner and the Windex and the paper towels, no, okay, <laughs> no. <fair enough. laughs> that was that was a rude awakening day one in the business, right? You think you're going to come in and do something spectacular and you're cleaning right. stuff. Um, but as I got older, I appreciated it. And then, you know, when 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 people would talk to me about certain things, you know, TV related, I'm like, oh, I can edit. I can use this program. And they're like, really? I'm like, absolutely. You know, and then when you think about it, you know, as you get older and you're wiser and you start to think about you know, what was he doing? He was setting me up for a situation where no one would ever question your leadership as you got older because you did what they did, right? No one could say you skipped steps two, three, and four. Why are you there? Because that could, that could you know, pose different issues for you within an organization 
if people didn't think you earned your keep. Right. So you said eight. So Ohio was some of the close. Where's some of the where were some of the other locations? Uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, San Antonio, Texas, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, Greenville, South Carolina, Baltimore, Maryland, Charlotte, uh, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, and Pittsburgh. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. And so by trade, you are an attorney. You're also a, a sports agent. When did you transition out of this, uh, you know, the, the, the media industry into deciding you, you want to pursue law? So the duopoly rules were passed uh, uh, in 2002, which allowed for TV owner uh, ownership groups to own more than one property in a given market. Um, prior to that, you know, you weren't permitted to own but one 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 TV station per market, and that was because they wanted to have you know a variety of voices, you know, for people to hear because media is very influential. So right. you know, if you have too many people dominating the marketplace, then you, you you'll get limited voices to be heard to influence the masses. So when they, when they approved those rules, my father got an opportunity to sell his properties and he did. And at that point it was like, all right, Eddie, you, you gotta, you gotta get a job and find, find your way. Yeah. Now, fortunately I had enrolled in law school while we still owned the TV properties before we knew the duopoly rules were going to get approved because, you know, if I was going to add a piece to the puzzle for my family business, that piece of the puzzle was going to be, you know, law, you know, we didn't have an, an in-house general counsel, and no one in my family was a lawyer. So it was the next logical step for me to, to, to bring value to our family business and, 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 and you know, uh, help, help in ways that we didn't have, you know, already engaged in our company. So, you know, I, I, it's funny that the way I got my first legal job was, you know, we used to have a large golf outing to support a, a not-for-profit that my father started and operated called the Black Broadcasters Alliance. Um, in which, you know, he had, you know, 160 golfers every year show up and, you know, it was great. It supported, you know, uh, uh, black broadcasters in the industry. You know, all the profits supported, you know, scholarships to kids at different universities and different types of programming to expose, you know, African-Americans in the media industry. Well, I, I happened to be in a foursome one year with a gentleman who, who operated a law firm. It was his firm. And he gave me a unique opportunity to do a summer associate program at his law firm. And they thereafter hired me. And I guess the rest is history. How about that? How about that? And so you mentioned this a, a number of times, but this is something that, that we somewhat preach to our student athletes at the collegiate level and at the grade school level. Talk about the importance of relationships. I mean, a, you know, relationships are everything, right? I mean, you have to be able to network, you know, your way around you know, whether it's for an opportunity for employment, whether it's for you know, someone who knows somebody else that could put you in a good situation uh, or, or, or just to be a good individual uh, to serve as a resource for others. People forget when you network, it's not always for what you can get. It's for how you can help others as well. Um, and that goes both ways. Um, and you have to remember that. So I try to be as accessible to people as, you know, people need me to be because you never know when you have to call someone and ask for their, their guidance. Um, so from a young age, I always, you know, following up, you know, my, my dad, again, and I, I mentioned my dad a lot, but he was a big influence on me, um, following up with handwritten notes. Now it's email because we have electronic, you know, ways of doing things, but, you know, he was big at Eddie, when you meet somebody, you know, you know, send them a handwritten note, send them a card. Thank you. Great to meet you, you know, and keep that, you know, relationship moving, you know, keep, keep it you know, rele uh, 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 relevant, 
right? Yeah. So I, I try to you know, stand on those principles. You know, if I meet somebody, we exchange cards, listen to an email, and every once in a while, I'll reach out, hey, how are you doing? How's the family doing? How's business? How's work? Any way I can help you, right? Again, it's not about what they can do for you. It's maybe what you could do for them. Um, so I, I live by those principles. And, um, you know, I, I try to, you know, uh, always meet, meet people. I, you know, I think some of that's in your personality. Because some people will say, you know, ah, you know, it's just not in my in, in, in my personality, and, and I, I think there's some merit to that. I think I think you can work on things like that. But in my personality, I like people. I like right. to meet people. I like to be in places where I can meet people. So it, it, it comes very natural to me, uh, 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 where I know it doesn't for others. But you know, uh, um, you know, as much as I can, whether it's University of Pittsburgh, whether it's Pennsylvania State University, whether it's any of my kids' alma maters. You know, I, I try to, again, get to know as many people as I can. So you're also a sports agent. Why did you get into that business? You know, I had friends who had made the NFL who had agents, and it just – it was interesting to me. Um, you know, when I started hearing what these guys provided for the for the players, I was like, I could do that. And, you know, um, it's funny. I wanted to do it before law school. My dad, you know, was, again, an influential, influential on me saying, hey, you know, you need to go to law school first before you pursue a career like that. And he was right because it adds another piece to the puzzle for you. It's another another tool that you have that's valuable to an athlete. Right. So how I was uh, that break that down. How was that? How is it more valuable? Yes. Because to be a certified contract advisor by the NFL Players Association, you don't have to be a lawyer. And, you know, I work with contracts and transactions all the time. You know, some of the gentlemen who are, are advising athletes, they, they don't have that background. It doesn't mean that they're not good at their craft. It means they just don't have some of the specific training that I have as a lawyer who's seeing contracts on a daily basis. You know, the, the players are governed by a CBA. Everybody hears the term CBA. It's a collective bargaining agreement, right? Because the players are in a union, right? It's a player's union. So knowing how to, you know, work with a collective bargaining agreement, knowing how to negotiate contracts, I think is very valuable to the athlete when they have an agent who's also a, an attorney. Again, it's not required. I just think it's it's advantageous if you can get that attribute in your representative. Because remember, there's a player agreement you negotiate. There's marketing agreements you can negotiate. Players off the field will want to purchase homes. They will want to enter into contracts to have homes built, right? Uh, other services. So I could be helpful to those athletes in those situations. And so those athletes that are potential pro athletes, whether it's NBA, NFL, what have you, what would you suggest they look into when selecting an agent? Um, you know, I, I, I think you have to be pretty thorough in your due diligence to the extent that you have a relationship going into it or know someone who has a relationship with an individual going into it. Do that due diligence first and foremost. And it's really hard, in my opinion, to get to know a person in a and a six, six to eight week period or however long, you know, they're courting you for because they're courting you for one purpose, right? They're courting you because there's an opportunity for them to help you get to the league and you're going to make money. And guess what? They're going to make money. Right. But when you get those right. rare opportunities or instances where you get to work with someone who knows you and you know them, take advantage of that because then you don't have to worry about all the curveballs. You're just worried about, you know, the substance of what they bring to the table. Can they negotiate my contract? Will they be good this, 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 and this? When you're dealing with guys you really don't know, they may be good at all that other stuff, but they may be bad people. They may have personality conflicts with you or your family or your advisors, which you really don't have an opportunity to flesh out. 
Um, I think far too often athletes, you know, I, I heard this early on. I, I couldn't, I mean, you know, I, I, it didn't resonate with me initially, but I had an athlete sit down across the table for me. One of the first guys I was pitching as a, as an agent to represent him. He, he looked at me and said, Eddie, all that's great. You seem like a good guy. You seem like you know what you're doing, but what are, what are your deliverables? What am I getting? Right. And that's, that's real. Players want to know, am I getting a marketing advance? Cause I want cash in my pocket now, you know, where am I training at? You know, where am I you know, living at? What kind of car are you going to put me in? Right. right. And that's, that's standard for the industry right now, but you also have to, I, I think, you know, look at things realistically. Those things are great and dandy as a college athlete when you're, when you're, when you're about to graduate or enter the draft, if you're entering early, but you know, once you're drafted, that stuff doesn't really matter anymore. So all those deliverables that you got that you were, you thought were so important, once in a league, they're not important anymore because you know, you're in a contract and you need to have somebody who's going to fight for you and be with you, you know, for the long haul of your career. Yeah. Right. Not, I'm actually, not, not just looking ahead. for that opportunity initially to make some money, but go ahead. Flip it to the other side. What would you say to, to an individual who's looking to get into your line of work, being a sports agent? Um, you know, get to know the business before you, before you get into the business, because I think, you know, everybody's seen Jerry Maguire and all the cool movies and, you know, you see show the, me the money, right. You know, show me the money, but you see the glam of it. I mean, and it's not a bad, bad way to, to earn a living, but it's hard. Right. I mean, when you look at the data, you know, there's a small percentage of the agents that have all the players and there's well over 1200 agents out there. Right. And I'd say a hundred of those agents have multiple players. I mean, the data is, it's, it's devastating. So, you know, if you, if you want to pursue it, you know, be good at your craft, right? That's A, know what you're talking about. Um, if you can get to an agency where you can learn a little bit, you know, that's not a bad idea. And it doesn't have to be CAA, right? It doesn't have to be one of the big ones. It right. could be a, a mid to small size where, where you could really learn your craft. Um, and, and you got to be resilient. You know, um, um, you know, you talked about building a network. You know, there are, there are opportunities to work in sports that go beyond the agent business. You know, I'll leave the individual nameless, but I, I, I brought out a young individual one year to the combine who wanted to just be in the business. Now they're, they're in the front office for an NFL team because they got to the combine. I introduced them to some people. They were a go-getter, right? So they introduced them, themselves to others. They network, and now I mean, now they have a pretty powerful position within one of the uh, uh, professional sports organizations. Very nice. So, um, you know, I, I don't think you could look at it in a tunnel, like, you know, in a, in a vacuum. I, I think, you know, if you want to be involved in sports, there are a variety of ways to do it, not just being an agent. You know, I've been fortunate. You know, timing is everything. You know, if I don't get Andy Lee year one of my yeah, of getting my license. Remember, I, I got my license in October of 2004, signed to Andy, I think in January of 2005. Wow. Right. Um, if I, if, if that doesn't occur, I don't know where I would have ended up. I got lucky. I had a draft pick my very first year. Did yeah, a Nike weird. deal my very first year. Right. So I had that to, when I went to, to recruit other players to lean back on, if you don't have that, it makes it really difficult. Yeah. First yeah. thing everybody asks you, who do you have? Who have you worked with? <laughs> exactly. That's the right? if they if they can't recognize they don't recognize the name or they can't right. quickly Google and see all the history of the work they put in, they're like, yeah, it's, it's really tough. Right. It's tough for me to give you the opportunity. We don't want to risk it. And it would what, what the players don't realize though is Sean, really, it's not the agent. 
It's not the agent. If a player can play, they're going to find them. That's right. real. Right. So, so, you know, we don't make players draft picks, so to speak. Right. They, they do that on their own. What we do is we provide good counsel. You know, we assist in that process. By no means do we make the process and by no means do we make the player. Frankly, you should even know who the agents are. Like my most proudest moment is, you know, I could be in a room and nobody knows who I am. They shouldn't. They should know who the player is. Shouldn't know who the agent is if we're doing our job the right way. I like that. I like that. And so with the mission of Orange Arrow, we exist to coach student athletes to aim for success off the field, off the track, out of the pool, wherever the playing arena may be. Why is the work of Orange Arrow important? Being successful outside of one sport. Man, you, you guys, I mean, Sean, I've said it time and time again, that's why I'm a supporter of Orange Arrow. You know, you do a phenomenal job of ingraining young people early. Uh, you got to reach young people early to help them understand that there's a lot of things that you should expose yourself to in life that will help you be successful. And, you know, you can't measure success the same way for everybody, right? Everybody's idea and, and you know, what, what they consider to be successful could be different. But you guys do a great job, and I think you used the word earlier, exposure, of exposing the Orange Arrow uh, 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 young men and women to different parts of life. Um, you know, your, your dining experience, you know, when you and I had that discussion about taking, that's huge, right? Because how many people go to a restaurant don't know outside in? Right, you know, a lot. How, how right. to eat. And, and people can judge you on that, right? They do. But again, it's about exposure. You know, when you had people come into the classroom, right, athletes and talk about our professionals to come in and, and share their experiences. So that's letting young people know, you know what, I can do that. And how do you get there? Oh, that's how you get there? Well, how do I get on that path? You know, and Mr. Sean, can you help me get on that path? And that's something that you, you excel in, helping them get on that path and understanding. Um, um, so, you know, Orange Arrow has a big place in, in our community and in development of our youth. Um, and as it expands, you know, it's going to take a bigger, bigger hold on helping the mold, you know, mold our youth. And, and, you know, I, I, I congratulate you because um, I saw you from square one um, on, on what you've done. And, and, and I want to give you a big thank you for what you've done to help shape our young people. Because again, Sean, what you're doing impacts our community. I've seen you doing it in Pittsburgh. I've seen you doing it in Florida. Now I know you're doing it all over the country now. Um, um, it's needed. Um, you know, these kinds of skills, again, the off the field skills, the, you know, again, interpersonal communication, meeting professionals, learning how to eat, learning how to dress, right? Learning how to write, learning how to be successful in the classroom, right? You can't achieve one field success unless you achieve in the classroom success, right? You and I can name probably hundreds of guys that were monsters on the field, on the court, you know, in the pool, wherever. And you never knew their name. Yep. Right. Because right. they didn't take care of business in the classroom. Um, one of my big things for my own, I have three kids. So my big thing for my three kids was this. Use athletics to get you into an educational opportunity you otherwise wouldn't have. That was it. It wasn't be a pro. Yeah. It wasn't NFL. If you get that, that's icing on the cake. But I always preached, use the sport to get you in an opportunity academically you otherwise wouldn't get into. Awesome. 
Eddie, thank you for your time. Thank you for your continued support. I mean, you supported me, you know, from when I was a young lad in Pittsburgh. You actually, you know, gave me the opportunity to kind of learn a little bit about the business and the media industry back then. Uh, thank you for all your, your support from uh, financially, your time giving back to the young people we serve. I really appreciate you, boss. Thank you for joining the pod. Look forward Absolutely. To catching you. Absolutely. Anytime. Appreciate it.